I, I want to share with you the beginning of one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, and especially from the book of Psalms. I would encourage you to memorize this psalm. It's Psalms 91. And I know that when I say it's a favorite of mine, it's a favorite of many Christian people. It's a powerful psalm. You know the Word of God is powerful, period. Uh, the Word is sharp, powerful, quicker than a two-edged sword, the Word says. And um, if, if we really believe it and stand on it and affirm it by faith, I'm glad we're teaching these kids about faith because God's Word when it's spoken in faith, does not return void. In this particular psalm, there's a little passage of Scripture. I'm not going to deal with that this morning, but you've heard me tell the story. I remember it so well. When I was just a little boy, my mother used to read devotions to me from a set of books called Uncle Arthur's Bedtime Stories. And all of these were true stories that had been gathered from around the world. And there's a verse in the Psalms 91 that says, No plague shall come nigh thy dwelling. And there's an orphanage in a little village in Africa, or there was, and in that orphanage, fear gripped the hearts of all those kids and especially the leaders and the workers because a plague had hit that village and people were dying. I mean, they were falling um, by the just multitude. It looked like it was going to wipe the whole area out. But the leader of that little orphanage gathered those kids around and said, kids, we believe God's Word, and we know that God's a healer and a protector and a provider. And she taught them that verse of Scripture in Psalms 91 that says, no plague shall come nigh thy dwelling. And they quoted it every morning when they had their devotions. They quoted it every meal when they prayed. They quoted it every evening before they went to bed. And not one child in that orphanage, not one child even got sick, and it wiped out almost an entire village around them. So the Word of God's powerful. And so I, I, again, I would encourage you to memorize Psalms chapter 91. So it, it's a wonderful passage. I'm going to only deal with verses 1 and 2 for the time that we have with us this morning. So let's read that together for my text. Uh, chapter 91, verses 1 and 2. It's on the screens. Watch it as I read. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. In my God, in Him, I will trust. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Psalms. It's a big book and it's somewhat centered in your Bible. If, in other words, if you take your Bible and just kind of um, open it up midway, you'll probably land on some page in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, we call it the book of Psalms. It's actually 150 Psalms, but it's a book of several books that have been compiled together. The book of Psalms is actually uh, a compilation of five books of Psalms that were all inspired by the Holy Spirit and made their way into the canon of Scripture. But there are five books. In fact, um, 
many Bible scholars, such as J. Sidlow Baxter and others, believe that each of the five books of Psalms in the Psalms correspond to one of the books in the Pentateuch, uh, or the first five books of the Bible. You're familiar with that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all written by Moses. Well, the Psalms are sort of laid out so that they correspond with that. I'll, I'll show you what I mean. The first book of Psalms deals with chapters 1 through 41, and it corresponds to the book of Genesis in your Bible, inasmuch as the main theme of these 41 chapters in that first book of Psalms deals with mankind, man, and, and the relationship with God and the struggles and so forth. The second book of Psalms begins on chapter 42 and goes through 72. And it corresponds with the second book in your Bible called Exodus. Exodus, you know, deals with the deliverance when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage and God set them free. So embodied in those Psalms from 42 to 72, you will find Psalms that give praise to God for deliverance. The third book of Psalms begins in chapter 73 and goes all the way to 89, and it corresponds with the book of Leviticus in the Pentateuch. The book of Leviticus talks about the sanctuary. If you remember reading the book of Leviticus, it tells you how they made the, the curtains and how they made the drapes and how they made the altar and how it's all about the sanctuary. Well, this particular book of Psalms give praise to God from the sanctuary, and it's all about praising the Lord in the sanctuary. The fourth book of Psalms, which is where we are this morning, uh, deal with chapters 9 through 106, and they correspond with the book of Numbers in the Bible, which deals with the time of unrest and wanderings when that will be over. They finally ended that wandering. And so you're praising God in those Psalms for the time when all of the wandering of earth will be over and Jesus Christ will be crowned Lord of Lords and King of Kings and we'll worship in his kingdom forever. Then the final book, um, chapter, uh, begins with chapter 107 and goes through 150 corresponds to the book of Deuteronomy. And of course, Deuteronomy deals with the faithfulness of God and the word of God. So you'll find those praise there. Just a little background. Uh, the first two books of, um, of Psalms, um, are Davidic in authorship. In other words, you see David all over those. And so he wrote most of the Psalms in those first two books. The third book of Psalms, however, was mainly written by Asaph. Uh, he was the worship leader at the house of God. You remember when David brought back the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, the Ark of the Covenant had been lost from them in a battle with the Philistines. And when David became king, one of the main objectives of his rulership was to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of God because it represented the presence of God. And when he brought back the... the um, Ark of the Covenant, he did not send it back to Shiloh to the tabernacle of Moses where it had been before, but rather he erected a new tabernacle in the city of David, Jerusalem, and he had the Ark of the Covenant placed there, and, and he had music, worship music playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
they were worshiping God. And Asaph was, was one of the main leaders. So a lot of those Psalms he wrote. And what David did, this is very interesting. David hired, um, I think it was 1,800 amanuenses, as they called them. They were secretaries. And they worked in shifts round the clock. They worked, and all they did was sit there in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant while the people were singing and worshiping God, and they wrote down what they considered to be divine utterances. In other words, sometimes the people would just be praying and worshiping the Lord, and they'd just get so caught up in worship until that praise would just come from their lips to the point that they recognized that this is inspired of God. This is not just somebody making up something or somebody choosing their words. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit himself. And so those amanuenses would write down these psalms. And many of those psalms that you have, particularly in that third book of psalms, came out of worship at the house of God, just recording the utterances that were given. And then the fourth psalm, uh, most people believe that Moses wrote most of the book of, of the fourth book of Psalms in your Bible. And then the fifth and final book, again, was written by some of them by David and some of them by unknown authors. We don't know who they were. Again, it was probably somebody that they recorded while they were worshiping and they didn't even bother to put their name down. They just gave God all the glory and all the praise. But um, a little, little background there in Psalms. It's, a one, it's, like, it's like having a library of books, five books, a little library of praises to God. That's what you have in the 150 Psalms in your Bible. We're in that fourth book, chapter 90 is where it begins. Let me read a little bit. There's a few excerpts from it. I'm not going to read it all. But this is Moses speaking here. You can, you can almost hear, knowing what Moses went through, this is Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ere you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. Look at verse 4. This is revelation for Moses he said, for a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. Remember over in the New Testament, the apostle Peter told us that a day is a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is a day. Moses got that revelation in his worship way back in one of the books of the Pentateuch. Um, look at this, uh, more revelation. The days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength they're 80, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Boy, that puts life in perspective, doesn't it? We typically, we're going to live about 70 years if we're strong and healthy, maybe 80. Now, I know there's some that go past that, way past that, but not, not very many. Uh, and even at that, life goes very quickly here. And it's full of labor and many times full of problems and sorrow. So he said, teach us, verse 12, to number our days uh, that we may um, gain a heart of wisdom. That's where it's really at. And I love the way he ends the Psalms. The beauty, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the works of our hands in us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, 
From there, we go right into chapter 91 and the text that I just read to you a while ago, verses 1 and 2. I, I want to deal with three things from these two verses. The first thing I want to deal with is the revelation of who God is. Because he begins this psalm by getting a little better understanding of who God is. I, I read it to you a while ago from the New King James Version. I want to read it to you now as the Hebrew would be directly uh, um, translated. And I'm reading it from the Messianic Jewish Bible here. Here's what it sounds like. And they're going to put this on the screen. They already have. Look at this. He who dwells in the shelter of Elyon will abide in the shadow of Shaddai. I will say of Adonai, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, I know what you may be thinking, preacher, what are you giving us these Hebrew words for? What is all that? Uh, and, and I'm not here this morning just to, to deal with definitions of words. However, the concern that I have as we begin reading this psalm is that unless you get these first two verses and a pretty good grasp and understanding of God, you'll miss the power and the application of the rest of the psalm. So the psalmist starts off by describing God, by giving some descriptive names of God. Now, you understand, don't you, that when we communicate thought, we do it in pictures, not words. We use words, but these words produce pictures. And that's what we see. We don't see words. We're, we're thinking in terms of... I, I'll give you an example. When I say the word dog, dog, how many of you on the screen of your mind, big letters went up, D-O-G? No, that's not what you saw. You saw a dog. And... <laughs> I bet you we saw a bunch of different kind of dogs. How many of you saw a great big dog? Four people. How many of you saw a little bitty dog? Five or six more. How many of you saw a medium-sized dog? Uh, several more. How many of you didn't see anything? <laughs> if you're sitting next to somebody that didn't see anything, would you wake them up for us, please? <laughs> So, now, now, let me help you. For you to understand what I'm thinking when I'm saying dog, I have to describe it a little more. If I say to you, a little, long-bodied, short, real short-legged dog. <laughs> now, now what did you say? That's yours. Oh, okay, what is it? A dachshund. Now, I guarantee you, Unless you're just really strange, when, when I described what I was thinking about as a dog, and, and she told us what kind of dog it is, but you did not see on the screen of your mind, D-A-C-H-S-H-U-N-D, because most of you didn't even know that's the way you spelt dachshund. <laughs> I didn't. To me, it looks like dash hound. 
But what I'm saying to you is we, we think in pictures. One of the things that really concerns me in the body of Christ today is a lack of understanding, or maybe I should say respect or appreciation for the name of God. I hear people that use God's name so lightly, just flippantly throw it around and just just casually. And I'm not here to, you know, if you grew up in a culture and an environment and that's what you've been exposed to and that's all you've ever known and and, and, and you just do it without thinking. But what I want to do this morning, I'm not criticizing you for that or trying to put you down for that, but I would like to challenge you to get a better picture in your mind when you hear the word God. And that's what the psalmist is trying to do here. He, he starts off by saying, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, Elyon. He gives us a Hebrew word there. That word Elyon literally means elevated, high, exalted, the Most High, the supreme being. So listen, folks, when you, when you use that word God, if you're talking about the God of the Bible, if you're talking about the God of the Christian faith, you're talking about the high, exalted, uh, the elevated one, the most high God, the supreme being. In other words, there is no being in all of this universe that comes up to him. He is above all all of that. Amen. Our God is high. Our God is exalted. Our God is holy. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, taught us to begin our prayer by saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, God, you're, you're, you're there. You're bigger than this universe because you created this universe. You're not inside of it. You're beyond it and outside of it. You spoke it into existence. You're high, you're exalted, you're most high, you're supreme, you're almighty, and we need to hallow your name. In other words, Jesus said, respect the name of God. Oh, listen, church, we need to teach our children to respect the name of God. It's a holy name. It's a sacred name. It's a hallowed name. There is no other name that comes up to his name. Amen? And so we respect that. Second, second thing he says is they shall dwell under the shadow of Shaddai. Shaddai. The word Shaddai means almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient one, the one who nourishes. Now, now put these together is because it, it's going in succession here. The high and lofty one, the holy one, the one who inhabits eternity, God who is today what he was yesterday, what he will be tomorrow, God who is everlasting from beginning to end, the first, the last, the all-wise, the eternal one, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. God, this high and holy one, is also the one who sustains and nourishes and, and su- gives sufficiency for everything. I think it was James who said, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. 
in whom there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning. God nourishes everything. Jesus talked to us about the fact that he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I don't care who you are sitting here this morning, and I don't care what your belief system may be or your, uh, or your theology or, or anything else. It doesn't even matter whether you are from another religion or not. There is a simple fact, and if you don't believe it today, there will come a day when you will believe it. But that is that all of us, the very breath we breathe, the food we eat, the, the, the water we drink, every good thing that we enjoy comes from our benevolent Heavenly Father who made it all. God, He loves all of us and He cares about all of us. Amen? That's the God. And then He refers to Him as Adonai or Master and Lord above all these. Now, let me, let me go to my second point quickly here because time's running up. Now, the second thing I want you to understand is he, he gives us this, this uh, first of all, this revelation of who God is. Now, this is not all of who God is. This is just three little, there are many more in the scriptures, but he gives us three little descriptive terms that helps us to understand and receive a revelation of what God does these three terms help us to understand what God does. First of all, glory to God, God rules. Yes. Elyon, the high, exalted, supreme one, he is in charge. I know it doesn't look like it sometimes. God's given us free, made us free moral agents, give us power of choice and, and all of those things. But the fact is, that God is still God, and evil will not ultimately win. It will not, regardless of what's going on in the world right now, regardless of the efforts of evil to divide us and separate us and make us hate one another and, and, and come at us with prejudice and come at us with discrimination and come at us with injustice and all of that garbage. There's coming a day when all of that will be put down and God who is supreme and eternal, he rules, amen? And he's in the process of bringing us, glory to God, to a time when there'll be peace on earth. He rules. He rules. That's Elyon, the Most High. Let me give you some scripture. Isaiah, the great prophet in the Old Testament, chapter 44 and verse 6. Look what he said. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, folks, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it's just a fact. All other gods are false gods. It's, it's just that simple. I, I begin my prayer time almost every morning, sometime early in my prayer time. I, in, in the first four or five minutes, I always say to God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you're God, and there is none besides you. In all of this universe and beyond, known and unknown to man, you're God. I don't care how far you get out there, you're going to find God. Amen? He's still there. He's, he's God. Look what Isaiah said in chapter 45 and 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. In 1 Kings, when Solomon was dedicating the temple in Jerusalem, 
he, look at it, he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands towards heaven, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant mercy with your servants who walk before, before you with all their hearts. There's just none like you. There's, there's just none like you. Now, third, uh, secondly, he, he not only rules, but he nourishes. I love this. When you look at Shaddai, the, as the almighty, as the all-powerful, as the all-sufficient one, he nourishes us. Now, this particular descriptive term was first revealed to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, the first two verses. And, and I'm going to read them from the Messianic Jewish Bible here. When Abram was 99 years old, Adonai appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. Continually walk before me and you will be blameless. My heart's desire is to make my covenant between me and you and then I will multiply you exceedingly much. You got to get you got to get the context of this to realize how much faith God is challenging Abram with at this point. Way back almost 25 years before God promised Abram that he would give him and his wife Sarai a child. Now, you can imagine getting a message like that when you're 75. That would shake most of us up. But 75, you might think, well, stranger things have happened, you know. And, and, and his wife was about 10 years younger, so that means she's about 65. That would probably really shake some of you 65-year-old ladies up if you went to the doctor and discovered that you were expecting. But, you know, stranger things have happened. God promised that at 75. But now, did you see how old he is now? He's 99. That means Sarai, who later his name was changed to Sarah, <laughs> she's 89 going on 90. And God is reaffirming this promise. God is saying to Abram, in fact, it, it was in this 17th chapter where God even changed his name. He said, he said look, Abram, I'm, I'm reaffirming to you my covenant with you. I'm going to give you a child. And, and it's going to be a child, a natural child from your body and from the womb of your wife, Sarah. Now, that was tough to believe at 75, but can you imagine believing this at almost 100? But God said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, he, and, and, and Abraham must have been shaking his head trying to figure all this out and said, boy, I, I just can't understand how this could be possible. And then God says, let me reveal 
a little more to you about myself. You already know me as Elyon. You already know me as Adoniah. But let me tell you another name that I have. I am El Shaddai. Glory. In other words, I am the God who is sufficient for whatever need you may have. And I'm able to nourish you. <laughs> I mean, I, again, you think, well, good time of living. If, if I did father a child and my wife did have this baby, how are we going to take care of this child? The, the Hebrew word shed literally means breast. And when he says, I am El Shaddai, one of the definitions, there's several definitions, but one of the definitions is the strong-breasted one. Now, you see what God's trying to do here is, is get a point across to Abraham. Abraham, I am able not only to work the miracle of giving you a child, but I'm able to see that that child is nurtured and taken care of. Now, today's a different day. Today's a different day. If a mother is unable to nurse a baby today, that, that's not a, a terribly big problem. Um, in fact, it's, it's quite common. Uh, all you got to do is just go down to the grocery store, to the drug store, or wherever, and you can get, they've, they've got a shelf full of all different brands of, of formula that, that has been created to to give your baby the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals and so forth that that baby needs. So you can, but in Abraham's day, in Abraham's day, if, if a mother could not nurse her baby, that baby would die unless they could find another mother who was able not only to care for her child that she was nursing, but was able to give help and nourishment to somebody else's baby. But God says, Abraham, you're worrying too much about nothing. I am El Shaddai. I'm sufficient. I can take care of it. I can nurture it. I can do whatever needs to be done. In fact, we know the rest of the story. Not only did, did Abraham father the child, no, not only did Sarah have the baby, but she nursed the baby at 90 years of age. Why? Because the all-sufficient one, El Shaddai, is the one who can nourish us. Now, let me make the <clears throat> application, and I'll, I'll do more of it later. But I, I'm here to tell you this morning that some of you are worrying about things that you need to quit worrying about if you can get the proper perspective on who your God is. He is sufficient to take care of your need. <clears throat> Your, your situation might seem as impossible as being able to nurse a baby at 90 years of age, but that doesn't make any difference. God is still sufficient for whatever need you have. Amen? 
Make sure your neighbor gets that part of the message. They turn, tell them, our God is sufficient. Well, glory. How many are glad you serve a sufficient God? Well, (laughs) fast forward that to the New Testament. And the apostle Paul told the church at Philippi, he said, you guys have sacrificed and you've taken care of my needs. And so, Philippians 4.19, and my God, he ties it, and it's tied to the previous sentence. He, he said, you've, you've been good and blessed and you've sacrificed to give to me. Don't worry about the sacrifice that you've made. It's not going to leave you without it because my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What riches in glory? El Shaddai. He's got it covered. I don't know what you need this morning, but he's got it covered. He's, he is more than enough. He is the all-sufficient one. He can supply your need. He can bring you through this thing. Amen. Well, let's move on. <clears throat> Thirdly, um, Adonai, he directs. As master and Lord, he directs. Psalms 32, 8 and 11 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be in the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen? In other words, what we ought to do here is make him Lord of our lives. We ought to make him master. We we ought to let him direct us because he will. He said, I'll direct you with my eye. I'll I'll direct you. David said that the, the word of the Lord is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my pathway. God knows where you need to go. God knows what you need to do. God knows the decisions you're struggling with this morning. Some of you are in the mess you're in today because you made decisions without looking to your heavenly father for direction. And he was there all the time and would have protected you from ill-made decisions and direct you in a better way. He's able to do it. He's able to do it. He can direct your path if you'll make him master and Lord of your life. And and then I love the way the psalmist says, he said, why why do we sometimes act like a stupid animal? We need a bit in our mouth and a bridle to lead us the right way. Why don't you just go ahead and, and, and look to the Lord and let the Lord help direct your life? Now, third and final point, and we'll close. And that's how do we make application? Here's the question from these two verses. God has revealed himself in descriptive terms that we can get a handle on and understand. But the question is, how do we get this high, exalted, supreme, almighty, all-powerful, all-sufficient master and Lord to do these wonderful things for us? The fact is we so desperately need God to do these things for us. How do we get him to do that? The answer is right there in the psalm. (laughs) He says, he who dwells in the secret place um, of the Almighty, he who dwells, he who lives in, 
he who abides in that secret place. In fact, the word dwell there means to sit down and to tarry, to wait. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, then he shall abide under the shadow of El Shaddai. Uh, here's what we so often do. We come to God, and I, I, I did this for years. In fact, the early part of my Christian experience, most of my prayers were supplication and intercession. I'd come before God and I'd say, oh, God, I'm a needy creature. And I am. I, I have a lot of needs. I, I need I need this. Oh, God, please help me. God, I need you. I just need you. I need you. I need And I just plead with God. I, here's, and it was because of bad teaching growing up. I had the idea that I was this needy creature and I had to cry out to God in prayer and overcome the reluctance of a supreme being up there somewhere to, to somehow manage to get a hold of the stuff that I needed. And folks, can I tell you this morning that that is a horrible misconception of God. That's why Jesus referred to God as our heavenly Father. He wanted us to understand Here's a fact that I want you to get in your spirit today. God wants to bless you even more than you want to be blessed. Can I say that again? God wants to bless you more than you even want to be blessed. I remember when when my kids were small, um, one, one of my boys was really bad about mouthing back to me. And so help me, there have been times when I'd be just fixing to do something for him or give him something that he really wanted. And he'd smart off with his mouth. And, and I couldn't reward that bad behavior. And so he kept me from doing what I wanted to do for him just because I, I could not, I could not reward that kind of behavior. I couldn't, I couldn't give him uh, strengthen that whole idea that you can smart off to your daddy and still be blessed. There are times that your heavenly father and my heavenly father is sitting at the boundaries of heaven ready to pour out blessings on us and we will take our mouth and talk against his word in fear and unbelief and we'll say all kinds of things that are contradictory to the word of God that if God were to bless that, he would reinforce the idea that that, that, that was okay. And it's not okay. He that cometh to God must believe. And he must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, the psalmist here says, if you just get acquainted with God in a more personal way, if you'll just dwell in the presence of the Lord, the secret place, where is that place where you and God can commune together? Where is that place that, 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 that you can get, get all of the distractions out of the way? Problem is, a lot of times our prayer is, is we get up and we say, God, here's my list of needs today. And, and we sort of hand it to him as we go on out the door and start our day. And we don't spend any time with him. Listen, folks, prayer is communion with God. It's conversation with God. 
And conversation is not monologue. It's dialogue. There has to be a time to listen. Uh, years ago, we had a lady in our church that would call me sometimes, and, and, and she talked real fast. And when she called, she strictly called to tell me what she wanted me to know, not to find out what I wanted to say. And she would call and be something like this. Hello, Pastor Boy. I'll talk to you later. Bye. And she'd hang up. <clears throat> and, and again, she was telling me something. A lot of our prayer is like that, just dialogue. And, and God wants to commune with us. God wants to fellowship with us. God wants us in the secret place. He wants us in a, in a time where it's, it's, it's him and us. If you're going to worship, that's what God's looking for is worship. That's why I told you a while ago that a lot of my prayers used to be like that. My prayers are not like that anymore. Most of my prayer time is spent just worshiping God. Jesus told the woman at the well that God is looking for worshipers. If that's what he wants, that's what he's going to get from me. And I believe if you give God what he wants, he'll give you what he needs. Amen. And so most of the time I just spend telling God how wonderful he is, how great he is, how marvelous he is. I recognize the fact, God, you are the high and the holy one. You are the supreme being. You are the lifted up one. You are the all sufficient one. I, I come to you today, Lord, just knowing that I don't have a need in this world that you aren't more than able to take care of. And I just want to thank you in advance because you're a good God. God, and you're a good heavenly father, and you're a rewarder of those that spend time with you. And so I just want to praise you and bless your holy name. Amen. <clears throat> he that, he that will dwell with the Lord in that special place shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. That's a promise of God. God said, if you will dwell in my presence, then you will abide under my shadow. He, what he's doing there, he's inviting you to a very close, personal, intimate relationship with him. God as the great nourisher. It is as intimate as an infant drawing life from its mother's breast. It's just that personal and it's just that intimate. And that's the God who loves you. That's the God who loved you so much that when he saw you lost in sin, he sent his only begotten son who gave his life so that you could have fellowship with him. Will you stand with me please this morning? I've got a whole lot more on my heart today, and there's so much more in this, but I, I, I've got to stop here because of time. I want the prayer team leaders to come quickly. If you're a staff member, a board member, or you lead a small group, or you're on our prayer teams, uh, please come. And I, I just believe today that in the next few minutes, we're going to see some things change, some situations begin to turn around. I believe this can be a pivotal moment in your, in your life and in your situation. If you'll just come today, I'm not, I'm not asking you to come and beg God for what you need. All those supplication and intercession, all of that's, all of that's okay. That's, that has a place. 
But if you'll come today and say, Lord, I just, I believe your word. And I'm just going to stand on that by faith today. I'm going to present to you my problem, but I'm not going to present it to you in fear. I'm not going to present it to you in anxiety. I, I'm not going to even present it to you today in desperation. I'm just going to present it to you and say, thank you, Lord, that I know that you are more than sufficient to take care of this need. You're the all-sufficient one. And I just want to spend a few minutes before I go in your presence worshiping you. If you have a need, would you just come quickly? Find somebody that will just agree with you in prayer. We have prayer team members that will be glad to do that. Or if you just want to spend some time by yourself, just you and God, that's okay. But for the next few minutes, if you're unsaved, come and give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from the Lord, come on back home. If you're dealing with health issues, come and let's believe God for your healing. If, if, you, if you have a financial need, come and let's, let's believe God. I've seen God open doors and give jobs and, and, and do miraculous things when people just begin to worship him and praise him. He's worthy of our praise. God bless you as you pray.